The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. You are going to be very happy (laughs) with today's show. Um... We are indeed today going to be an oasis of sanity. If you have been getting sick, as I have been literally, from all the anger and rage and mean-spiritedness in the news, you can't escape it. Google news, any kind of news, you know, the internet, radio, television, I mean, it's like the whole world is just going crazy. So today, I thought we would have a nice um, break from that. And think of things a little more spiritual. So today's show is called Send in the Angels. And um, it's not going to be about any one particular religion. It's not about making you believe in any religion particularly. But it's about giving you some hope that even in the darkest times, and I know a lot of you think that this may be the darkest times, or certainly at least the darkest we've had in a while, um, not because... uh, not because of anything, just because, you know, no matter what side you're on, just because everyone is so angry and up in arms and, and not being as nice to each other as we should and all of that. So today you're going to realize that there is hope and that there may be angels looking out for you as there have been for my guest, whose name is Bruce Van Nada, and he is the author of Uh, the books Saved by Angels, to share how God talks to everyday people, and A Miraculous Life, True Stories of Supernatural Encounters with God. He's the founder and president of Sweetbread Ministries, which is an organization that helps those in need from orphanages in Honduras and a church in India to prisons and everybody else who um, reaches out in need. So, Bruce, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me on, Dr. Carroll. Um, you know, I'm sure that uh, you would probably agree that the world is going, <laughs> the world is going crazy. Uh, oh, I mean, absolutely. we've been going crazy for a while, but it seems to be reaching a higher peak even. <laughs> I would agree. Yes. So, so, so what some of the things, you know, what you're trying to get across... Um, I think is ever more important uh, now. Well, let's start with your story. You know, I I ask um, guests on Dr. Carol's Couch to put their feet up on Dr. Carol's Couch, not only listeners, but the guests, and and go back to their childhood 
and explain or talk about uh, why, what has made them into who they are today, you know, whether it's that they've written a book or something else. But basically, you, you know, it's, it's our childhoods and experiences that happen after um, that turn us into who we are today and what we're passionate about and all of that. So if you wouldn't mind starting back then, <laughs> that would be great. All right, sure. Well, uh, let me first say I'm from Wisconsin and born and raised right in the middle, the dead center of the state. I grew up in a family that would not, you said that this, today's show is going to be uh, a lot about spiritual stuff, but I can say that my family was not a spiritual family. We didn't uh, attend church regularly, anything like that. Uh, Christmas, Easter, if we ever went to church, it would be Christmas, Easter, something like that. I grew up in a family where there was uh, drug and alcohol abuse and physical and verbal abuse. I am the oldest of my two younger brothers, and then I have uh, three siblings that are step two stepbrothers and a stepsister. So a lot of dysfunction, a lot of craziness in the house that I grew up in. Um, my dad was an over-the-road truck driver. My mother was an interpreter. Spanish is her first language. And uh, I spent a lot of time with a babysitting uh, family that uh, kept me when my mom and dad would be out gone on the road. And unfortunately, this husband and wife that uh, were babysitting me, uh, this was before my two brothers were born, and at this point I'm, I'm at home alone. Um, this family that was babysitting me, uh, they abused, sexually abused their two children. And because I stayed there for a year, year and a half, on and off, a week or two at a time here and there, I was getting molested the whole time I was there. Mm. And as I'm sure you know and most people are familiar with, people that are molested, children especially, are somehow manipulated into not telling so somehow this husband and wife were able to manipulate me into not telling my mom and dad mm. that I'm being molested there. So this is going on about the time of, you know, five, six years old. At that, at that period of time, this is happening where I'm staying there. And in the middle of all that, my grandpa and grandma, my dad's mom and dad, took me to a church service one Sunday morning because they babysat me. And the Sunday school teacher tells a story about Jesus hugging children. And the guy says, you know, this story proves Jesus loves children if you if you prayed him, he'll hear prayers. And I didn't believe any of it. Even mm-hmm. as a five-and-a-half-year-old, I was skeptic and thought it's like a story like Santa Claus that's not real. And I just put it away in the back of my head. Uh, several months passed, and uh, one super bad night in my life was happening. And I was uh, laying on top of a bed crying, feeling dirty and ashamed. And that story of what that, that uh, Sunday school teacher had said came to my mind. And I just simply said, Jesus, if you're real, then I want you to come and hug me like you did those kids in that story. Huh. And I can tell you that immediately, right then, I was given a physical hug and picked up off the bed, given a physical hug. There was no adults. There was nobody in that room. I was alone. And yet, I was given this physical hug. But even more than that, it was like being dick- dipped in liquid love from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet, just completely overwhelmed with this liquid love. Hmm. And I woke up the next morning. Uh, thinking through what had happened the night before and just came to the conclusion that, that there's something to this Jesus thing. And so um, even, you know, I didn't tell anyone. I kept it as a secret. Didn't tell anybody that I'd been molested and didn't tell anyone about having that encounter hmm. for 20 years. Just kept it myself. And so I grew up, um, they say hurt people hurt people and hurt people act out. And so because of all the stuff in my family, I grew up... Um, getting in trouble at school and I started smoking pot, you know, in high school and just making a lot of bad choices, bad decisions, looking for something to to calm the the unrest 
inside of me. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, as, as I think is common with a lot of people, turned a lot of different substitutes for self-medication. And whether it's drugs or alcohol or sex or pornography or even money or whatever it is. And so I was looking for all these things to, uh, to self-medicate and um, just, again, continued to uh, look around and not find anything that was really, that was really uh, lasting, any, any, any kind of lasting effect. And in my uh, early to mid-20s, I ended up, uh, I was dating a girl, and, and she, we were having this conversation about God, which I never talked about God to anyone ever. It was a taboo subject. And she, uh, you know, we were, I just said, I think God's real. And she said, how do you, you know, why do you think he's real? And we went back and forth for about literally six hours until she wore me down. And I finally said, all right, I, I believe he's real because of something happened. He's a child. And I shared that story with her that I just mm-hmm. shared about being hugged. Mm-hmm. And she ended up, uh, we ended up getting a very deep conversation. And uh, she, we ended up getting married. And so I huh. married Lori in 1995. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And we started having, you know, waited a few years and then started having children. And I had a, I had a um, great job. I was managing a very large, a multi-million dollar company, the youngest, uh, youngest person in the department, yet I was running it. And I had 16 employees and did, oversaw the whole thing as a general manager over that whole area of that business. But I was never happy. I was always um uh, as you said, things happen in our childhood that continues to affect us as we were adults. And so I was, you know, didn't realize what this, all this unrest and stuff was inside of me and, um, continued to smoke pot and drink whiskey and snort Coke and do whatever, just medicate in various ways, look at pornography and did that for several years. And it was in, uh, my mid thirties that, so my wife started working at a church she started uh, working at this church, and so we went there um, regularly. And you know, I still lived that exact lifestyle, and just you know, just played church on the weekends, I guess. Uh-huh. And uh, so these missionaries came, who were missionaries uh, to Africa, and uh, they they were requesting money for a project they were trying to do to help some some orphan kids in Africa. And my wife and I ended up donating. Um, a bunch of stuff and some money towards it and they came to our house and we actually gave them a vehicle and a bunch of things and they came and we uh, gave them all the stuff and as they were leaving they said yeah, you know is there any thank you so much nobody's ever done anything you know this big for our ministry before and is there anything we can do for you and I flippantly said yeah I've been addicted to drugs and alcohol for like 20 years I said you know you can pray to God for that mm-hmm. and uh, the, the husband and wife came and talked about you know on the couch I was sitting on my uh, Tootsie leather couch in my living room and the husband and wife came back from the door where they were just about to walk out stood over the top of me and said um, the wife got very quiet and then she began and these, these are people from a completely different area that knew nothing my own uh, family nobody in my family had never told one single person about being molested or anything other than my wife and so the, the wife this missionary husband and wife the wife stood above me and it was uncomfortable silence because she wasn't saying anything at first. And then she said, about the time you're five or six, you're repeatedly molested. And then she just began to tell me everything about my childhood, about the way my mom was, about the way my dad was, about all this stuff. And by the time she got done, I was crying so hard. There was snot running out of my every hole in my head, I think. Oh, wow. And I was just sobbing. And 
I knew that there's no way that this woman could know any of this unless God told her. And she said at that point that um, my problem was a spiritual. She, and then she even told me about my, she said, you've tried drug counseling and, and it's all failed, which I never said that, but it was, that was true. And uh, she said, the reason why it's a spiritual problem, and if you want to be done with it, stand up right now and we'll take care of it and we'll pray, this, pray for this um, oppression that's in your life. And so I yelled for my wife who was in the kitchen at the time, and her and uh, her husband and my wife and myself, the four of us, stood in a circle in our living room, the great room of our house. And these, this husband and wife prayed over me, and I was completely set free after 20 years of smoking pot every day and looking at pornography quite regularly, getting drunk two or three times a week, snorting coke two or three times a week. I was completely set free after counseling. None of it had worked several times. That day I was perfectly 100% set free, and so it, it was a huge life change for me. Um, wow. Everything changed at that point for me, and, and I began to think about... Um, that encounter that I had as a child and that how I'd, I hadn't told anyone other than Lori about it and that there must be a lot more to it than I even realized. And so I began on a spiritual journey of looking through different diff, different things and just checking, you know, reading reading the Bible and, and just saying, you know, what what's true and what's real and what's going on. And so that, for me personally, that was my, that was my journey from that first encounter at childhood and then, you know, like I said, with all the drugs and alcohol and different things, and I was, you know, high-level functioning addict, as people would call. I mean, I, again, running a multimillion-dollar business and being very successful at it, but yet still having these skeletons in my closet and still dealing with this unrest and inner turmoil. And then and all of a sudden, it's all, all that, um, those addictions and stuff are, are taken off. And it, it really changed everything, and we started... Um, my wife and I started seeing, you know, what could we do to help other people and how could we, um, you know, I, I knew plenty of other people who had addictions and my heart went out to them and I thought, you know, what can we do to start helping other people? Because like myself, um, the more I began to study it, I realized people with addictions, they're self-medicating, you know, and mm-hmm. the high percentage of them are all self-medicating some kind of inner turmoil or inner pain or mm-hmm. something like that. And so I, I just wanted to, to be able to help others. And so that's, that really started because of that encounter I had when those people prayed for me in my house. That really started for us, you know, looking at wanting to share that with other people and help others that were hurting and, and uh, what we could do for them. Now, before I ask you, so what did you do next? Um, you know, it's interesting that there was already something. You were like opening yourself up to something to write um, as these people came into your life, because I mean, you were do- you were donating so much to them, right. uh, even though you had, even though you were just playing, you know, right. a good church member, <laughs> yeah. um, and so like that, you, that was some kind of openness or willingness to um, to change, you know. I agree. Yeah, 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 and it was. Um, I mean, they they ended up doing their project and. Uh, what they had done was they had adopted someone from Africa. That's how they got down there. There was a field there where they left. The, the women didn't, in this area, it was, very, it was a drought and a famine, and they couldn't feed their families. And so uh, they already have children, and they'd have another baby they couldn't feed. So there was a field where these um, expectant mothers would then, when it was time to have their baby, they'd go have their baby in this field and leave it to die in this field. Mm-hmm. And they felt like that was more merciful than bringing it home and having it starve to death over a long period of time. And so this this baby that they had adopted from this place, from that field, um, that that's what 
put a, a mission in their, you know, in their hearts to go to this place, and they wanted to build a uh, shelter in that, in that field so that when the women came, they could have the babies in the shelter and then have a local orphanage that would just be there and, and monitoring uh-huh. that shelter so they could take the babies and put in the orphanage. So that's, that's what that project was all about. Wow. So, okay, so um, you were starting to say, so then they left, and you wanted to help other people who uh, were addicted. Yeah. And and really, and deal with the stuff that was you know inside because I realized for me, uh, even though those addictions and that stuff left that day, my my intense desire to get high left that day. Mm-hmm. Um, I was then left with having to sort out what was driving me to get high. Why did I want to escape reality? Sort of yes. thing. Yeah. What what was driving me to that? And and it was as I prayed and meditated. It was obviously it was all the stuff from my childhood. And so I again, when you live that lifestyle, you surround yourself. You know, people that drink surround themselves with drinkers, and you know, people that smoke pot surround themselves with people that smoke pots. They are everybody feels normal, and you get your little normalcy click. Right. And uh, so I knew a lot of people that did drugs, and so I just began to talk to them and discuss different things about childhood and different what had happened to them what you know try to get down to the root causes of what what was going on in their life and tell them look this is what happened for me these people came to my house this lady told me stuff that there's no way that she knew except and i asked her you know how, how where did this yeah. come from i knew it was from god and she said god was telling me in my whisper in my ear and i was just saying out loud and mm-hmm. so we began to do that same kind of things with other people and god began to show us my wife and i things mm-hmm. about people had gone through even even if they didn't admit it just like happened with me and we began to see the power that that had and uh, just began to see people getting you know set free and healed and delivered from their different addictions and different things that were driving them hmm okay and then what and so you were how old at this time 30 what oh i would have been 35 years old so wait a second so this is just before the accident Right before the accident, <laughs> one year. <laughs> now that's pretty ironic. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> oh, and yeah. so is the fact that we now have to take a break. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, when we come back, we will uh, get to. Um, I'm not going to give a. I'm not going to give a hint of it, but we will get to the next to the climax, actually, in some ways um, of your life in terms of this realization uh, and appreciation of God. Um, and miracles uh, when we come back. So you're, you're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. We're talking today about Send in the Angels. My guest is Bruce Van Natta, who is the author of Saved by Angels, to share how God talks to everyday people and a miraculous life, true stories of, of supernatural encounters with God. So stay tuned. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? 
Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you today about Send in the Angels. And aren't you glad that we're talking about something like this? And not something that you have been uh, barraged, barraged with in the news uh, these days. My guest um, is Bruce Van Natta, and uh, we were just, I want to get right back to his story, because we were just about to talk about his next experience that proved to him even more um, how important God was, how there really was a God, and he really was... Uh, well, I'll let you tell the story, but um, so why don't we start from there? The, this is coming right off the experience of having these, um, I guess, missionaries, right? Yeah. You would call them. Um, yeah. Have changed his life um, by by praying over him. So yeah. take us. So, so now, a year later, you were saying. Yes. Yeah, so so they came and prayed at the house. Everything changes for me. We begin to have other people come to our house, and we're trying to help them as well, and just kind of share that love and that uh, free, you know, that freedom and liberty. And so it was about almost, it was not quite a year later. And let me just back up and say this: I'd, I'd been running that large business in southern Wisconsin. We moved home, um, you know, a couple years before that, and I started my own business here in central Wisconsin, where we're from. So I owned my own business, and. And it really, because I own my own business, it opened up to be able to, you know, you know, I started, I joined a, a group of people at our church that went and did, you know, hospital visits. And when somebody, you know, lost a loved, you know, a family, they're a member of the family and they died or something, we'd go and visit them or, you know, different things like that. And so it, it because I own my own business, it gave me a lot of um, liberty and freedom to be able to go and uh-huh. come and go, as I, as, you know, and so I did that. So now this year is going by. And I was at a, um, the business that I started here in central Wisconsin, uh, I ran a large diesel shop in southern Wisconsin, and I moved back home, and I started my own diesel repair business. And so we specialized in on-site diesel repair. So just like someone would call in a plumber to their house to have them fix their plumbing, people would call us in, and we would do on-site diesel repair. So one day we might be... At, on the roof of a hospital, working on a large diesel generator at a hospital, and the next day might uh-huh. be in a, you know, in a gravel pit, working on a piece of large equipment, a gravel pit. So diesel engines is what we what we specialized in. And in November of 2006, so 10 years ago, just this last November, I was on site at a large logging company, 
about an hour south of where we live. And so we had a big, large service truck with, you know, let's say $100,000 worth of tooling on this truck. And we would take this large truck with all the tooling on it to a, you know, on-site and do these engine repairs. And so in November of 2006, I've got this service truck, and I'm down at this uh, location at a logging company. And I'm working on a large logging truck that I'd been working on. It was Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Now it's Thursday night, November 16th. I'm finishing up the job. I'd done an engine repair. And the guy who was the mechanic for that company, the technician from that company, came up to me just as I'm getting ready to leave. And he comes and taps me on the shoulder. And he said, hey, I was just wiping off the last tools and putting them back in the truck. And the guy comes up and says, hey, before you go, could you look at one more thing? And now this this uh, technician, he you know he could change tires and change oil and do a lot of repairs, but he couldn't do the the technical repair on the engines. That's why our company was called in to do this. And he had one more thing. He says, you know, I've got one more. I just done this three A job, and he said I've got this dirty spot on the engine, and he said I can wipe it off, and within you know a couple of weeks this dirty spot comes back. And he said, so I know the engine must be seeping oil just a little bit out of a spot. He said, but it doesn't run out and it doesn't drip out. He said, I can't figure out where it's coming from. He said, can you diagnose it and then, you know, order the parts, come back at a later day, fix it, whatever. And I, I asked him what area of the engine. He said, well, in the front towards the bottom. And because I had uh, worked on these for several years and been in charge of, you know, working on this stuff for a long time, I had in my mind an idea instantly as soon as he said, what you know, the possibility of what this oil leak uh-huh. could be. So for those people listening today that have never looked underneath, uh-huh. um, myself maybe never included, had, yeah, yes. maybe had never had the desire yes, to look underneath included. a big truck. <laughs> if you were to get on your knees in front of a big, big semi-truck and look underneath the front bumper going towards the back of the truck. So you're standing in the truck, in the front of the truck, you get on your knees and look underneath the big bump, bumper towards the back. What you'd see is the lowest thing to the ground on these big trucks is the, big, is the front axle. The reason why is they're a dropped axle configuration. All that means is that the axle connects to the wheels in the middle of those wheels on each side, your steering axle, when you, the, the wheels that move when you turn your steering wheel. That axle connects on each side, and it just goes down towards the ground and then goes from the left side of the truck to the right side, vice versa, from side to side, and then goes back up to the other wheel. And there's just a little bit of room underneath that axle. In fact, a large man, um, if he were to try and go underneath that axle, wouldn't fit. Um, and so I'm just small enough that I could a lot of times just barely slip underneath these axles, and it would just drag across my chest. Uh-huh. So the guy that I'd been working with had jacked that big axle up. Now these axles, the, the, the axle is, carry, is, is made... On this particular truck, it carried five to six tons of weight, so 10 to 12,000 pounds of weight on the two front tires. That's not the weight of the truck. That's just the weight that's on those two front tires, so 10 to 12,000 pounds of weight. Leonard had jacked it up. The guy I was working with had jacked it up, had removed the passenger side front wheel so that we could get access to the, to the passenger side of the engine. And so he's got a jack underneath that axle holding it up, and he, unfortunately he had not used any safety equipment, no jack stands, no blocking, nothing, no yeah. safety equipment. And he said he's got this dirty spot that he wants me to diagnose in the front of the engine and I got on a creeper a little a little tool that mechanics use to go underneath vehicles they mm-hmm. call them a creeper and it's just a little small device that you lay on usually you lay it on lay on it and you go underneath the vehicle so I laid on this plastic this is important detail it was plastic howl core junky creeper it was his and I, I lay on it I go underneath the front bumper, just barely fit underneath the front bumper, feet first, laying on my back, go underneath that big axle that I'm referring to, and as I got underneath the truck, the engine is running because we'd been testing the, the repair that I just finished 
I, we're, in order to test that repair, we had to run the engine. So while it's running, that's why I've been putting my tools away and just getting ready to walk out the door, right? And so now I'm underneath <laughs> the truck, and I say to him, hey, go ahead and shut it off. I don't need the engine to look for this. I don't need the engine running to look for this oil leak. So where I stopped, I just, where I just happened to stop, that big axle is maybe an inch above my belly button, and it's, it's about, let's say, four to six inches wide front to back and at least six inches tall. And, again, it's shaped like a big I-beam, and it's got this 10 to 12,000 pounds of weight on it. I'm underneath it now. It's going from the left side of my body to the right side of my body right across my belly button, covering up the area below my ribs and, and up to my pelvic bone, so right across the middle. He gets in the truck to shut the engine off. The truck kind of shifts, and I saw movement in the peripheral vision of my left eye, and I turned my head just in time to see this jack that's supposed to be holding up this big axle shoots out from underneath the truck, and the axle drops to the slams to the cement like a blunt guillotine crushing my body in half right across the middle. Mm. So when this, when this thing, when this, I mean, if you can picture, you know, five to six tons of weight dropping, you know, 10 inches and hitting the cement, it was a, a huge kabang, loud, loud kabang. But when it did, it fell through the middle of me, and on impact, blood actually shot up out of my body, out of my mouth from the inside out when this thing mm. fell on me, from mm. this blob of blood, you know, comes out of my mouth and lands right next to my head. And I had my head turned to the side, and I'm looking at this blob about half the size of, of, about half the size of a golf ball. And I'm looking at that blob of blood, and at that point, I just cried out and said, oh, Jesus, help me. And I remember saying it twice. And then I looked down, and this is what I saw. And just trying to picture this, Carol, one inch of space between the bottom of the axle and the cement on my left side. Mm-hmm. So it's fallen all the way through me, and on the left side of my body, I, I can tell I'm one inch thick. Mm-hmm. On the right side of my body, about double that, at least probably about two inches, two and a half inches of space between the bottom axle and cement. The plastic hollow core creeper I was on, thank goodness it, it was plastic and hollow, and it just crushed it up and flattened out. I was just, you know, maybe, you know, a listener might be thinking, ah, this guy could be exaggerating. Well, yeah. here's, here's proof, the diameter, the size of my body, the thickness. According to doctor reports, my L4 and L5 vertebrae, which are straight through the middle of basically your belly button to the back, L4, L5 vertebrae were uh, spider-cracked and slightly D-shaped. So I was just a little bit thinner than my spine in the middle of my body. It's like, like, well, I'm visualizing like a cartoon. You know how in cartoons <laughs> when they roll over a figure and, you know, like a, an animal in the road or some kind of a figure and, and, you know, they get up and they're an inch thick? Do you know what I'm talking about? You took the words out of my mouth because when I, when I looked down at my body, that is exactly what I thought. <laughs> Verbatim. That's exactly, and, and specifically... What the picture that came to my mind immediately was Wiley Coyote, who's been run over by Acme truck, and he's flat across the middle. <laughs> but uh-huh. it was me. It was very surreal. And now this incredible pain, like I can't even tell you how bad it hurt. If doctors always say on a scale of 1 to 10, what's your pain level? This would have been like a 1 million on a scale of 1 to 10. It was off the charts. The pain was horrendous. And uh, I'm panicking, freaking out. The guy gets down out of the truck. He never did shut the engine off because the jack slipped out before he could shut the engine off. Mm-hmm. So he gets down out of the truck, and he's, he's got his head. If you can picture this, I'm laying underneath the truck completely, my head just, in, just underneath the front bumper, so I'm completely underneath the truck. And I'm looking back, 
and he's got his head, he's looking underneath the bumper at me, and we're just, you know, a little bit apart, head to head, looking mm-hmm. at each other, and he's going into shock just by looking at my body, because mm-hmm. the axle is large, and as it, as it has fallen through me, and it's, now it's just on the cement on my left-hand side, because that's the side the wheels removed, as it's on the cement, and basically all I could see was the top half of my body from my ribs up. I couldn't mm-hmm. see the lower half because the axle is all I could see. Okay, so, so tell us, come on. Get yeah, we're looking at each other, and, and he says, uh, you know, I'm, I'm saying, you know, call 911. He wouldn't even, he was, he was in shock. Yeah. So I'm begging him to call 911. So then he, he finally shakes out of it, he calls 911, and then I beg him to shut the engine off because the vibrating diesel engine was exaggerating pain. Mm. So he finally, he shuts the engine off, and then he's trying to figure out how to jack the truck up off of me. He can't put the jack back underneath the axle because the axle is on the cement. So he's, he goes and gets the jack, and he's trying to figure out what he can do to get the truck up off of me. So he put it underneath this front spring, which is a big curved piece that's attached to the axle. And it's, you don't want to jack something up, especially all that weight on a curve. So I'm begging him, don't jack it up there because I'm afraid it's just going to slip and it's going to fall on me. But, and he's telling me it's the only place I've got. So he jacks this truck up off of me, and it's just barely, the jack is just barely hanging on. And that's when I looked down and saw my body with this big flat spot, because now I can see the top and the bottom. And there's mm-hmm. this big flat spot across the middle. And literally, if you can picture it, it just went from my ribs down to my spine, followed along my spine, and came back up up my pelvic. And that's when I thought of Wiley Coyote, and it was so surreal. And I began to, you know, and now I'm going to shock. We found out later was I had five places the major arteries were completely shattered. Oh, wait, shattered. wait, before that. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Well, get I'm, I'm bleeding out. So he jacks the truck up off me. I'm bleeding out, and I'm panicking, and I'm begging him to get me off running the truck, and he doesn't want to touch me. So in a, in a adrenaline rush, I guess, I reached back, laying on my back, reached back, grabbed the bottom of the chrome bumper, and I was able to drag myself out about a foot, oh, just God. so now my head and shoulders... Now my head and shoulders are sticking out from right at the front bumper. And at that point, I began to get very weak. I'm bleeding out internally because the five arteries severed. And it, the first responder gets there. The very first responder gets there. The volunteer fire department in the middle of nowhere, rural Wisconsin. He gets there because uh, he was driving home from work when his pager went off, and he's, like, driving right by the place. Hmm. So he pulls in. He starts asking me a couple questions, and which I'm just mumbling at this point. And it was at that point that I lost my heartbeat, I lost my pulse because I bled out. So I bled out internally, no heartbeat, no pulse. And at that point, I had a, a typical near-death, out-of-body experience that they say, you know, 8 to 10 million people in the world have had right now. And my spirit left my body. So my, my actual body's on, underneath the truck, crushed in half. My spirit left my body, and I went up into the, the top of the roof of the garage up about 15 feet, and I watched everything from above at this point. And I went from feeling this immense, crazy pain to feeling absolute perfect peace. And, I mean, and you saw? And I saw two huge angels on each side of my body, um, white, shining robes. They didn't have wings. They were just large men. Leonard is about six foot one, six foot two, and their heads stuck up approximately, I'm guessing, two feet taller than his head. So that would have made them approximately eight feet tall. Very broad shoulders. The there's been five reenactments of my um, accident done in Hollywood now. All five reenactments done in Hollywood, they get it wrong because they make the angels look like fuzzy or like, like you could somehow kind of see through them. It's not what they look like to me at all. They look perfectly real, except that they were emanating light. There was light emanating out of their robes, out of their, you know. And they, Leonard is on his knees above me crying, running his fingers through my hair, apologizing, saying it's his fault. 
he should be the one that's dead, not me, because he had jacked it up and not used the safety equipment and all that. I'm up in the ceiling, you know, my spirit's up in the ceiling, watching from above, in perfect peace, and then these angels are on each side of him, also on their knees, just like he was, but they had their hands in the middle of my body where I was crushed flat. Right in the middle was that big divot, that's where they had their hands. And they had, you know, just a, a detail, they had long hair, really, they were men, but they had really long hair that went all the way down, you know, just to the very bottom of their back. There was a robe, and there was a belt on the robe, and that's right where the, that's right where the hair ended. It was actually curly, long, blonde hair. They were matching book ends, identical. I never got to see their faces, because on my spirit is up in the ceiling, and they're leaned over my body with their face, you know, facing my body. So I could, all I could see was their backs. And they didn't move. They didn't communicate. They never said a single thing to me or, you know, completely ignored me up in the ceiling, basically. And I just watched everything from above. And I'm watching it all happen. And the more people from the volunteer fire department are coming and they're coming. And they, I'm listening to every word that everybody's saying. They're saying it's too late. There's no heartbeat. They're not going to do CPR. They're not going to do any chest compressions because I've got, obviously, a, a chest injury. And there's no point in doing a defibrillator because I can tell I've, I've bled out. So they're all just kind of standing around. Several minutes goes by, and in the back of the shop, there's a back door. Everybody has come through the main entrance of the garage from the main driveway, and in the back of the shop, the last two people that came came in the wrong door. They came in the back door. A red-haired lady named Shannon Celia, who's been interviewed by History Channel, Discovery Channel, different country music television who've all done my, done my story. She comes in, and she gets down between the angels at this point. She gets down and, and what? She gets down between the angels above me at this point and starts feeling for a pulse. And that's and I hear our music. We must be getting ready to go. Yes, to yes. Okay, we do need to leave at this point. We'll leave on this cliffhanger. Um, you're listening to uh, Dr. Carol's Couch. We're talking today about sending the angels, and you, they have just been sent in. So we're going to take a break. My guest is Bruce Van Natta, and stay tuned. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking with you about sending the angels. And we just 
They just came in. So we're going to be going back to the angels. And there, my guest, Bruce Van Natta, is essentially given up for dead underneath this truck. Well, well, now he's out of the truck, barely out of the truck. But everybody who came to save him thinks he's a goner. So go ahead, take it from here. Yeah, so my spirit is up in the ceiling watching, you know, 15 feet up in the air, watching from above in perfect peace, having a little party in the ceiling, listening to everybody saying it's too late for that guy down there. And that's when the last two people, last two members of the volunteer fire department that came to the scene of the accident came in the back door, wrong door. And, you know, it's interesting. I'm just going to stop there and say this. When I spoke to the volunteer fire department a year later just to thank them when I got out of the hospital for coming that night and stuff, I was, uh, this is one year later, I was able to point out eight of the ten people that had come to the scene of the accident and in front of 30 people ask red-haired Shannon Celia and this, this other gentleman in front of everybody, why did you come in the back door when everybody else came yes. in the front door? Yes, And it's just it's a little detail that proves I was really having that out-of-body experience because otherwise I would have had no way to, to know that. Yes, up, yes. You know? mm-hmm. So I'm watching it from above. She gets down between the angels. And uh, she's feeling for a pulse, and I, I'm watching, and there's a, a gentleman off to the side who says it's too late, he's, there's no pulse, and she's still feeling around. And then she says, what's his name? And the guy that I was working with says, Bruce Van Atta, and she begins to pat me in the face gently and get louder and louder and begin to say, Bruce Van Atta, come back, open your eyes. And she keeps getting louder and louder, and pretty soon all the people that are standing around talking all quit talking and turn and look at her and give her the crazy lady look, like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And obviously it's not medical in any, you know, by any shape or form, and she slapped me in the face saying, open your eyes, come back. And next thing I know, my spirit comes back out of the ceiling, back, it seemed like through my head, into my body, and I open my eyes, and here she is face-to-face with me. And first thing that comes is incredible, incredible pain. Now I'm back in my body. And it's, I mean, I feel like a truck is following me now, right? I mean, incredible pain, and I'm looking at her, and I was like, I did not want that pain at all, and I made just like this constant decision to say no. And my heart stopped again, and my spirit left my body, and I went up to the roof of the garage again. Now the second time, and a tunnel opened up with a bright light on the end of it, and next thing I left the, left the garage and got in the tunnel and went towards the light. And I could hear her in the background calling my name, and she called me back in into my body now the second time. And at that point, Again, the pain, this crazy pain comes back to my body as my spirit comes back in. I open my eyes, I'm looking at her. And I believe God spoke to me just right in that moment and just simply said, if you want to live, you're going to have to fight, and it's going to be a hard fight. And it hurt so bad that I thought, no, it's not worth it. So I said no, and the last time I left my body, spirit left my body, went up the roof of the garage, the tunnel opened up again. I went towards the, towards the light in the tunnel, couldn't see the garage anymore. And the final time, this lady um, got, called me back into my body. She was praying me back in. I found out later she was a two-month-old baby Christian who had been believing in, in God for two months, and she was asking God to bring me back to life. Hmm. And she prayed me back to life that third time. And when I came back in, as soon as my eyes opened that last time, she said, Mr., you're on the verge of life and death. What do you have to fight for? Do you have a wife? Do you have children? Do you have anything in this world to fight for? Because you need to fight if you want to live. And I completely forgot that I was married. I completely forgot that I had four small children. But when she said that, it reminded me of Lori and the kids. And it hurt too bad to fight for me, but I could fight for them. Uh And so I just kept my eyes open for them. And she said, don't you close your eyes again. You stay here. You fight. And so they ended up... um, taking me by ambulance to the closest town, which is about a half an hour away. And then med flight came from Madison, Wisconsin, which is our biggest trauma center in the state, University of Madison Hospital. And they med flighted me to Madison Trauma Center, where um, the doctors 
the trauma doctors ended up, uh, couldn't understand how I made it to the hospital. In fact, this is what doctors say. They say I'm the only person they can find in the whole entire world that's lived with major arteries severed in five places because when the truck found me, all those arteries were severed in the middle. And so they put me back together a little bit. My arteries and stuff told my wife there's no way I was going to make it through the hour they didn't expect me to live. They ended up operating on me a little bit each day for the next week. Mm. Uh, kept me in induced coma for weeks. I ended up spending that whole next year in the hospital. I had five operations, wow. five major operations over the period of that next year. And um, that's, you know, the, I remember the very first thing that I wanted to say when, I, when they took the breathing apparatus out of my throat, the very first thing I wanted to say was that I had seen angels. And, uh-huh. and, so, and what did people, did people believe you? Well, I, you know, most people did. I'm, I've, obviously, there's going to be people, some people that don't. But, uh, yeah, most people did because, again, uh, you can't explain all the medical stuff. There's no explanation, and it's so, so well documented. The, the producer from History Channel that did my show said it's, it's the best documented miracle they could find anywhere in the world. Well, you know, I, I do happen to know um, one of the things that I do is work as an expert, psychiatric expert witness, and I was involved in a wrongful death case of a man who was in L.A. who was run over by uh, a bus. Yeah. And um, he, he, when he was found, you know, he was still under the, I think, the yeah. tire or under some part of the bus. And, yeah. um, and the thing was, they couldn't, it was a bus or a train. In any case, he was crushed, similar yeah. to what you described. And they couldn't, it, it, he was definitely a goner because... They couldn't take him out of the um, place that he was crushed in um, because, you know, for the, because he would bleed out. So right. I, I do know that what you're saying, um, it yeah. is a life and death situation. It is amazing that you were, uh, did come out of the truck and still were able to be saved. You know what I mean? Because when someone is, is being crushed, um, that is uh, holding the blood, you know, that is compressing right. the exactly. arteries and holding the blood for that period of time and then when, exactly. when you get out of the the crush situation um there's nothing keeping right. that keeping the, the arteries together the blood vessels right. together so yep. yeah that was exactly this what is, happened yep yes this is true so okay so you were in the hospital for for a year yeah i'd get out for a couple of weeks go back in for a couple of months get get back out for a week or two go back in for a couple of months and that lasted that whole year so then when we got out we started sweet bread ministries and again, I mean, it was, so, you know, if you, you look at, in retrospect, looking all the way back to the beginning, I call it and say, as a child, you know, Jesus, if you real, come and hug me, he does. Several years go by, these missionaries come pray for my house, set me free from drugs and alcohol and, and all this stuff. And then, you know, this, the truck falls on me and I call it and say, God, help me. And then he sends this two-month-old Christian lady, Christian, you know, I've only been believing in God for two months, to pray me back to life three times at the scene of the accident. And so it was, you know, at that point, we just, we laid down the, the business. We totally stopped it. We started a 501c3 nonprofit, uh, again, called Sweeper Ministries. And, uh, you know, if people want to check that out, they can go to sweetbreadministries.com and they can see some of the stuff that we do. And it's humanitarian. I mean, I feel like well, you know, God has done things. all this for me. Tell yeah. us about some of the things. Yeah, I feel like God has done this for me, so we just try to help other people. So I think the first thing was we did, we drilled some wells in villages that had no water where people are walking like five, six, seven, eight miles a day to get water. In India, I think we drilled three of them, and then we built a church there. 
And then the next thing was we built a boys and girls orphanage in Honduras. And um, then we, uh, we do support widow and uh, orphans at you know, feeding programs. We do some of that. I go and speak at jails and prisons. And uh, just this year, we just finished building a large school in a place called Porta Cortez, Honduras, that has uh, just under 300 kids at it right now, but it's growing. And uh, these, a lot of these are under, severely underprivileged, third world uh, you know, type situation children. And so they get a meal. Some of them, the only good meal they get a day, and uh, you know they get to learn some English, and they get to you know learn some computers. We have computers. Microsoft donated some computers for the school, and you know we do a lot with that. And so you know, again, I just travel around. I tell my story to people and say, look, I'm I was definitely no angel. I mean, I definitely wasn't making the right choice and decisions. And I think if if God would do all that for me, it's it's the least I can do to try and help other people and you know do some of this humanitarian aid stuff. Well, now, before I ask you more about that, I, 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 you had said at the very beginning that your father did something with trucks, right? Yeah. He, yep. what, it was a truck driver? My dad was a truck driver, and then he started his own uh, truck repair business, so I grew up with a, with a truck repair business in our I family. See. So, did you, what do you draw, do you, do you make any connection between this accident happening with, to you in, because of a truck and, and... Anything to do with the, your relationship with your father? I mean, you know, I'm a psychiatrist. Of course I'm going to ask you a question like this. <laughs> well, you know, I think uh, my, my background the environment of growing up around trucks and, and all that and then going into that business, it was just a natural fit for me. I just went right into that business. And, you know, and the truck falling on me, um, it was – I knew that the gentleman had not used any safety equipment. I looked underneath it before I crawled underneath it. So I take responsibility that that, you know, I, I, sh- I knew better. I shouldn't well, have gone into ask, the truck. Okay, let me ask you a, a more specific. That man was older than you, right? Yeah. Um, do you, you know, what about the fact that was he, could you see him as a father figure? In a, I mean, like, were there ways that your father, well, you, you said, I mean, you, you didn't say specifically that it was your father, but you kind of implied yeah. Um, yeah. that your father hurt you when you were growing up, right? Yeah, he did, yep. So here, years later, 30 years later, right, mm-hmm. um, you're with a man who's a father, could be a father figure kind of thing, sure, and sure. you have this, this huge accident, which in a way, um, you know, is also the, the which, which totally changes the uh, path of your life. Yeah, completely changed the path of life. Yeah, no, I've never, I've dr- never drawn any correlation between him and my dad, um, he is, you know, roughly my dad's age, just maybe a couple years older, five years older or something. But, uh, um, you, you know, again... You can think about that. Yeah. <laughs> you can think about that after. <laughs> whether the, whether there's, what the significance is, if you, if you see any. But, um, but let's, talk, let's go back to the ministry. Um, here's another personal question. Uh, you were saying before that the, the business that you, you know, first you were working for this company um, that yeah. was... That was a very um, lucrative company, and you were managing it, and then you opened your own company, and that was very lucrative, um, yeah. and you gave that up. You gave all of this up to start Sweetbread Ministries. How right. are you, I mean, are you still using money from those good years, those Sweetbread years? Well, um, the, to, the thing was, when the accident happened, I had no business, and I didn't have workman's comp because I never thought I was going to get hurt. I had 80-20 insurance, so my 20%... Of the of the bills was like four hundred and some thousand dollars is what my twenty percent was. Yeah. So all the money that we had saved up, all the money we had investments and all the stuff, we 
I spent the next year in the hospital, I still have to pay, you know, your house mortgage and all your bills. We blew through everything. We cashed out our 401k and all our investments. We basically walked out of it with our house, you know, we were able to, to maintain the house. I've got a house that we built on 40 acres, and so we stayed, we were able to keep our house, but we lost, you know, cashed out everything else. And so, you know, I have sometimes people say to me, you know, doubters or skeptics and say, you know, I don't, you know, I don't believe in God, and that's anybody's prerogative. But then they'll say, you know, I think you're making this story up and and doing it for this or this reason or that reason, or you're doing it for the money. And it's it's comical to me because I I had made you know was making very good money. It was very lucrative, and for anybody to think that you'd walk away from that to because ministry is not lucrative. The ministry right. we do because we well, we pour it all back you, into humanitarian aid. Su- how do you support the ministry? Is it all donations? It's all donations. Yeah, I go and speak. Uh, on the average year, I speak about 150 times a year. Wow. Um, this last year was about mm, just over 100 times, so it was down because the last couple months of the year, I scheduled a bunch of time off to, to do some different things. But I'm, I'm out speaking all the time, mostly churches. I go in and give this testimony to churches, but I, I do a lot of jails. Obviously, they don't t- pay to go to you know, speak at jails, and yeah. they don't pay us to go do um, you know, anything in foreign countries, but we do all that, and it's paid for by people that feel like they want to support the different humanitarian aid things we're doing, even the message, because I feel like God has given me a second chance of life when they tell you that nobody else has lived with five arteries severed, or mm-hmm. five major arteries severed in five places. Uh, it's, it's like hitting the lottery, right? And, mm-hmm. and I just feel like I owe it to my fellow man to say, look, and there is a spiritual element to life, and we have to think about it and, and make decisions based on that. Mm-hmm. Well, that's another reason why people should go to sweetbreadministries.com um, and not only to uh, you know, think about donating, but also to read. There are some amazing testimonials on there. You know, when you go and speak, you also um, help people to believe, I guess, what, what actually lay hands on these people like the yeah, um, missionaries yeah, did to you? Some of the places, yep, just like the missionaries did with me at Miles, yeah. So some uh-huh. of the places are open to that, some places aren't. And if, if they are, I do. And we've, we've seen God do miracles just like he's done for me, for other people. Lots mm-hmm. and lots of times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, perfect, perfect timing. Well, Bruce Van Hatta, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story. Absolutely. And I think you're doing, you know, sending the angels. You're an angel now, a human <laughs> angel. Um, and again, his books are called Saved by Angels to Share How God Talks to Everyday People and A Miraculous Life, True Stories of Supernatural Encounters with God. And I want to uh, thank all of you for listening and taking time out from this tumultuous, crazy world and thinking yeah. about something a little more spiritual and on a higher plane. And again, this wasn't about making you believe in any particular religion, but it is about giving you some hope that even in the darkest times, there may be angels looking out for you. So thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.